We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You're going to follow me on Twitter. And it's Tuesday, August 22nd, and we're continuing our NFL primer series through from uh, yesterday through next week. You'll see them all titled NFL Primer. Get you up to speed on playing NFL DFS coming into the new season. All right, we go. We're only two and a half, two and a half weeks away. From the new NFL DFS season. By the time you get into like week 11, week 12 of NFL, you're like, God, when is this over? But in the beginning, beginning, it's nice. It's nice and fresh. Getting out of the doldrums of MLB, right? We'll have the September call-ups. MLB will be a a train wreck uh, going forward. They're trying to predict lineups and pitch counts and everything. But, But we're heading into NFL season. And the best thing to do. Heading into NFL season is to sign up for Roto Grinders. We got all we got tons of NFL content coming out. We got all of our projections, our ownership, our lineup HQ, or everything here at Roto Grinders. You get me, you get our Discord. I have my own premium Discord channel, and uh, let me tell you that uh, you know if you're a Roto Grinders premium subscriber of, of any package, you can just have single sport or anything. You get access to that channel, and uh, and twice a month I do group coaching calls on on Zoom. So we could talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about privately, not recording. So, uh, so the, I'm doing one tonight, seven fifteen Eastern tonight. So if you sign up and join the, the 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 Discord, you'll see you'll see the link at that time in the Blenders Game Theory channel in Discord. So sign up, click on that link in the description, get ten dollars off your first month. And if you're not going to do that, at least hit the thummy thumbs. Hit the thummy thumbs in the morning. All the early birds here, defect Joe Mick. Joe Mack, Brian Edwards, Key Lime. Key Lime, I love your pie. I love your pie. I, mean, I really don't like I don't like Key Lime pie, actually. But, I mean, obviously, people like Key Lime pie, right? So hit that thummy thumb. To, everyone got home safe. So we got enough. We got enough thummy thumbs yesterday that no planes crashed. 
the way home from the DraftKings Live final. So, so just make make sure that happens every day. You can you can prevent pay, plane crashes by hitting the thumbs up button. Okay, so yesterday we were talking about uh, we started our NFL DFS primer. Talked a lot about projections, right? Which you can get in lineup HQ, right? You see FPTS. They go, oh, what is that? That's the prediction. No. All it is is the mean projection on a distribution. Now, for a lot of players, if it's normally distributed, the means and the medians will be fairly close to one another. But a lot of times they're not. So we talked about that yesterday. The difference between means and medians, right? What player distributions look like. We also talked a little bit about correlation, right? We talked a lot about, like, correlation of players in the same game, right? Regardless of position, right? The more points a team scores, the more opportunities a team has. All players on that team benefit. The less opportunities and the less points a team has, all players are related also, right? A team that only gets 17 minutes of possession and only scores six points on two field goals probably doesn't have many players, if any, that put up any 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 score worth having especially, and not multiple of them together. So that's why a lot of times you get focused in NFL DFS on, on game environments, right? What game environments? We look at the, the team totals. We look at the totals for the games because the NFL betting markets at the closing line are one of the most efficient in the industry and in everything, anything sports betting. So a lot of times in, in NFL DFS, you will be targeting game environments that have high totals. You wanted to go past that, sure. But you also have to think relatively. And one, one, of, one of the most important aspects of being a good DFS player, good sports better, good at any type of game, is thinking in relative terms. Okay? it's First, first off, you think in probabilistic terms. Right? You said, oh, the highest team total game. That's going to oh, go off for 70 points. Well, what's the probability of that? That's your that's your first first step, right? We take a look at these these player numbers, right? Cooper Cup twenty one point eight five. That's just like around the fiftieth percentile outcome. If he, go, if he goes for twenty nine, what's the probability of that? How often does that happen? Thirty percent of the time. He only puts up nine points. What does that happen? That 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 only happens like the bottom twenty percent of the time. Thinking probabilistically. That's one of the things that I highlight a lot in the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. How to think like a professional DFS player. So hopefully you're already thinking probabilistically. But how do you think relatively? Okay? So this, this is, the, this is the, the, the logical mistake that NFL DFS players, the average ones, the bad ones, subpar, make. They look at team. They look at all these team totals, right, like that, and they go, "Well, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stack one of the lower, the lower. What, what happens? What happens if the San Francisco Pittsburgh game with the forty and a half total, or the Cardinals Commanders game with the thirty nine total? What if that's the game that goes off? What if? Well, obviously, there's a probability attached to it, like we mentioned before." Like, it can't, not, it's like, oh, it's 0%. It's never that. You're already past that. You already think, oh, prob- probabilistically, eh, maybe it has a, to, to go over 60 points. 
Maybe maybe it has a 15% chance, 10% chance, 5% chance, whatever. It's not zero. There's like, well, what what if what if I do that? No, no one, no one's no one's stacking the 49ers Steelers game. What happens if that's the game that goes off? Well, if the game goes off, it doesn't it, that that in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean anything for you in DFS. Because what happens if that game goes off for 60 points, but the highest total uh, Dolphins-Chargers games goes off for 60 points also? And that game is higher owned or whatever. Well, the, well, what did you do? You didn't win anything. Oh, you met. Okay, you, you have you have 2% owned game that has as many points as the 20% owned game. The 20% owned game also has a lot of points. So you take a look at your lineups and you're like, oh, my lineups are doing great. And oh, and here's all these 30% on players that also did well. Because you didn't think in relative terms. It's not just this is the game that goes off. It's this game goes off more than all other games. And what are the chances of that? You have to combine those two things together. We have what, 13 games in the slate? How many games? I don't even know. 12, something, something like that. What happens relatively? Think of all the different types of scenarios in your head. Out of these, let, let's count how many games. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, 13. That's what I thought. We have 13 games. Let's say, t- let, I'm just using an exaggeration. 10 of them go for 90 plus points. I'm using exaggerative examples just to make a point. If 10 of them go for 90 plus points, doesn't really didn't really matter which 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 game you stacked or team you stacked or anything. All these games are 45 to 38, 10 out of the 13 of them. Well, I played low owned Carolina Atlanta, and that went for, for 90 points. It's like, yeah, but the Cincinnati Cleveland game went for 90 points also. And the Saints Titans game went for 90 points. Like what does it matter? Oh, well, I have a two percent owned wide receiver that put up thirty. It's like yeah, there's like there's seventeen wide receivers that put up thirty points. So like you're not you're not special. You're not special. And let's go the opposite way. Let's say all let's say ten of the thirteen games are like seven to three. Like nothing. Like nothing happens. And none of the games go for more than fifty points. None of them. Well, there are three games out there that had a normal score, 24 to 21. Those are the high-scoring games now. Now, if you if the, if the Vegas-Denver game was a 24-21 game and every other game was 6-3, I'm pretty sure that if you if you game-stacked or team-stacked or something, the, the Denver Raiders game, you'd win. Even though the game didn't even go over its total. So we're all talking in relative terms. So what ends up happening on a lot of weeks is we see like 13 games or something, 12 games, 11 games. And it'll be like, there'll be like one or two games that are like healthily high total games. A 52, a 53, like two of them like that. And then there'll be like two or three that are like 39, 40. And then there'll be a bunch in the middle. So maybe maybe you're like okay I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play much out of the low total games but these mid total games 44s 45s what happens if that's the game 
Well, it has to be the game, and the two high total games also have to underperform at the same time. At the same time, right? Let's say there's three high total games. So all three of them have to underperform. Let's say there's only one really high total game. Well, that has to underperform, right? Because it's all relative to our third lever. We talked about the levers, projection, correlation yesterday. Third lever of leverage. I'm using games as a proxy for players just to make it easier to understand. I'm not saying that all your lineups need to be seven-man game stacks or anything like that. They're not. They shouldn't be. I'm just putting in things in perspective of what you're targeting in building your NFL DFS lineups. So typically, ownership goes towards the high, the higher team total games. I mean, that's common. Now, sometimes because of a function of salary, it gets low. I mean, sometimes you have the Chiefs with you know, and there and the Eagles. Like AJ Brown is eighty eight hundred. It hurts his nine thousand. He can't fit everyone in. And actually goes lower on Mahomes, Kelsey types of lineups. Just are there's no cheap running backs or something, and it's hard to do. But for the most part, the higher total games are going to get more ownership. And in DFS, I mean, your 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 goal is to beat play beat teams, beat lineups relatively. One of, if not the most important concept in all of DFS, regardless of the sport. Your goal is not to score the most points. People hear that. They go, what? You're right. Your goal is not to score the most points. Your goal in NFL DFS is not to score 240 points or 300 points or what. Like That's not your goal. Your goal is to score more points than your opponents. Your if you're playing a head-to-head and your opponent only scored 83 points, your goal is to score 84. You don't get any more by scoring 220. Your goal is to score more points than your opponents. And how can you do that? Okay. How could you score more points than your opponents? You could do it by playing players and building lineups that your opponents don't have and they do well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose this 2% on wide receiver, and he puts up 40 points. Ain't I smart? That's not the only way you could beat your opponents. You could score more than your opponents. It's by not playing the players that they have. So you may think in terms of, oh, a 2% on player goes for 40. I need to find that player. That's very difficult to do. That's all a subject of a ton of variance. Good luck. Good luck trying to do that. Finding the 2% on player that happened magically has their only 40-point game of their career today or this week or whenever. You know what an easier way to score more points than your opponents? By not playing the guys that they have that fail. Well, like 28% of the field is playing this $6,800 wide receiver. And then they only put up nine points. When their mean is like 19. So 28% of the field underperformed the mean by 10 points. Let alone nine, is 19 points going to necessarily win you a GPP. So from a ceiling perspective, it's like, like you, have, you have nearly a third of the field giving up like 20 points to you. 
when the higher owned players fail, the score you need to win a GPP goes down and down. So you don't have to find the 2% owned player that put up 40. You know when you have to find the 2% owned player that put up 40? When all the chalk hits. When all the chalk, when when the 30% owned running back puts up 32. When the cheap $3,800 wide receiver everyone's playing to fit a lot of stuff in, they go for 27 points. Right when the corner, everyone's everyone's playing Justin Fields, forty-seven. There you go, three rushing touchdowns. It's one of those slates. Oh, the cheap running back in fifty-four hundred. He he falls in the end zone three times. The winning score in the Millie Makers is going to be over three hundred. You know how you get over three hundred by having all those players that are chalk because a lot of people have those players, and then you have the two the one percent on guy that somehow put up thirty-seven points out of nowhere. Some 4,700 Chris Olave at the 1% owned or something. And all the chalk smashes also. Those are the two different ways of winning. I'm not poo-pooing this way, the way of, oh, you know, I'm going to just slam all the chalk and play one 1% owned guy. Combinatorically, it's just very, very, very difficult. You need everything to go right for everyone, meaning everyone in the field. And then you being the outlier with one slot or a defense or something. So much easier to win when some of the chalk fails. Now, I didn't say all of the chalk failing because that would be the opposite. That would be the opposite side of the spectrum, right? Right. Some people, they go, okay, I'm going to play. I'm going to play all the chalk. I'm going to just build a chalkies damn lineup I can. I'm going to play the, I'm going to play the two a stack and the, Keenan Allen run back or Mike Williams because everyone's playing it. The two cheap running backs everyone's playing. The chalk defense. Highest variant position. And then I'm going to pick, you know, wide receiver, the 1% on wide receiver. Like that, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is what's the chalk and Xing them all out and go, you know, the $5,400 running back that really should be $7,800 based on his opportunity. I'm going to fade that guy at 36% on. And then I'm going to fade the, the Justin Jefferson is going to be 30% on. I'm going to fade him. And then I'm going to fade the, 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 the tight end. Mark Andrews is under price. I'm going to fade him, right? I'm going to fade all uh, the Hurts and Mahomes are on. I'm going to fade them. I'm going to fade oh, the $3,700 wide receiver. Everyone's, you know, Richie, Richie James. It's 18% on. I'm going to fade him, right? The chalk defense. Right, someone's out, blah, 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 you be do da It's a $2,200 defense that should have been $3,500. That's going to be like 48% on. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fade that. I'm going to fade all of this. I'm just not going to play any of that in this line. And I'm going to build a lineup with just all players that are like 8% on. Not like 1% on, but like 8% on. So relatively, from a relative standpoint, what do you need to happen? You need all the chalk to fail. You don't have to score that many points, though. Right, when all the chalk fails, and I don't mean fail by like they put up three points. I mean fail meaning they don't reach a ceiling where you need their score. Just to be clear. You play a $5,400 running back and they put up 11 points, that's that's failing. Can you still use 11 points at 5,400 in a line? Yeah, sure. It's not like I need to have that. You can find 11 points from a lot of people. Now, if that player puts up 28 points, yeah, you probably need them. 
The failure is just not putting up a score where it's going to be necessary. Right? The chalk defense has seven points. Can you still win with the seven-point defense here? Sure. Is that failing? I don't know about failing. Sure didn't put up 17 at defense. That that now, now, now you can now now it was probably good to have the 50% owned 17 points. So people go the other end of the spectrum. They go, I'm gonna fade all the chalk. The players are on for a reason, right? It's a, I mean, I know NFL DFS is softer than other sports. But on the whole, the market is the market the ownership efficiency is not is not it's not awful. You don't see players that are two percent owned that should be 20. And just like you don't see players that are like 36% owned that should be four percent owned. You don't you don't see that. So players are owned for a reason. They project well. Their means are good for their price. They're in good game environments, everything. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So how does the lineup with all like 5 to 10% on players? Because you faded all the chalk. Right? You didn't play all the 1% on guys. You're not like, I'm not going to do that. Well, relatively, you need your players to do average. They don't even have to do that well. You don't have to have ultimate ceilings for all your players. You just need that to happen and all the chalk to fail. All of it. If one of the, If there's six chalk players and one of them puts up a ceiling score, you're no good anymore, right? So that's what you need to happen relatively. People always think these two spectrums, too they, too much on these spectrums. I'm just going to jam in chalk and play a 1% on guy. Probably not a good strategy, macro-wise. I'm going to fade all the chalk and play all 5 to 10% on guys. Probably not a good strategy either. Probably if there's, if there's six guys that are 20 plus percent owned, some of them are going to do well. Some of them are going to need the score. Are all six going to do well? Less likely. Five out of the six? A little bit more likely. Four out of the six? A little bit more likely. It's actually most likely one out of the six puts up a score that you're going to need. And a decent percent of the time, two out of the six are going to put up a score you, you, you may need. And some of the time three and some of the time four. Maybe not all six. So from an ownership perspective, relatively, your goal 
as it always is, regardless of sport, is to have the proper blend of the three levers, projection, correlation, and leverage. Because what happens if you if you eat all the, all the chalk? Your projection is going to be pretty high, right? Your, your mean projection is going to look pretty good, very high. And even if you have some correlation in there, you're going to add some little, you know, I'm going to stack the quarterback and the wide receiver and the running back on the other side of the game. because And they all project well. The problem is, is that your leverage lever is like down at the bottom. Like you're sharing so many, you're sharing too many points. You're going to need to run perfect in order to win. You don't have, you don't have leverage in your lineup at all. Then you have on the other end of the spectrum, the show, you know, I'm going to fade all the chalk. Your, your leverage lever is way up, but that projection is going to go way down. Dude, you fail. You, there's six chalk pieces that are, you know, value plays and you fade all of them. I mean, your lineup could easily project like 15, 16 points. Like the best lineup you could make projection wise, fading all six will, will be like two touchdowns below and mean projection. You have to make that up. By fading all of them, fade half of them. Then you're now you're now you're within a touchdown. Now you're fucked. A little bit more. Your projection goes up. Your le- your leverage lever goes up, and your projection lever sits there. You don't want it. You don't want it this way, and you don't want it that way. But you have to think in relative terms. Don't go into NFL DFS saying I'm going to play this guy because I think he's going to do well. That's not how you play DFS. That's not how you win a DFS. It's not about scoring the most points. It's about scoring more points than your opponents. And one way you could counteract and gain more relative value on your opponents is with like direct leverage, which there is more of in NFL than in NBA, but not as much in MLB. MLB direct leverage is easy. This this pitcher is going to be 60% owned. Well, you take bats against that pitcher. This stack is going to be 30% owned. So you take the pitcher against them, right? Because as one player does well, the other players do worse. They're directly, they're directly, they're negatively correlated to each other. Starting pitcher pitches seven innings with 12 strikeouts. I guarantee you that the, the, the stack on the other side doesn't have many points. If the stack on the other side put up 14 runs in the first three innings, kind of pretty, pretty, pretty hard for the starting pitcher to have any, any anything. If negative 21. NBA, you don't get much of that. The, 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 the correlations are weak to begin with. Here in NFL, direct leverage, you have to think in terms, both, both in games and in players. Players is simpler. Everyone's playing Justin Jefferson, right? Everyone's, I have to know who's on every team now. Everyone's playing Justin Jefferson at a million percent owned. Well, I'm going to play, I'm going to, my, my, my cheap guy, my cheap 2% owned guy, 1% owned guy, in some lineups at 4,300, I'm going to play KJ Osborne or Jordan Addison. I'm going to play Jordan Addison at 5,100. At 4% owned. Well, Justin Jefferson's 28% owned. Well, why do you do that? Well, Justin Jefferson's 8,800, so he's going to need, you know, 30 plus points. 
So if Addison is, is catching a touchdown, if Addison is getting three receptions here and the, the 22-yard pass down the field, Justin Jefferson isn't. That's quite possible they're both owned, right? But if like one is 28% and one is 4%. Obviously, you could stack you could stack the team and play both receivers. That's positive correlation. But I'm talking about direct leverage. Or it could be the case where Justin Jefferson's high-owned and Alexander Madison is 4% owned. You go, well, a lot of people are playing the passing of the Vikings passing stacks. And not and sub five percent on the running backs. So I'm going to build a lineup that gets leveraged by just playing Madison. Now, if you want to bet on the Vikings and they put up 35 plus points, just play them all. They're all positively correlated to high. You know, when they when they score 42 points, everyone does well. But in the mean area, the Vikings put up you know three touchdowns and two field goals. Quite possible Justin Jefferson has, you know, he has a 100-yard game on eight catches, but he doesn't have any touchdowns. They still score three touchdowns, so who, who, who scored those three touchdowns? That would be direct leverage. Playing a significantly lower-owned player that benefits when one player doesn't do well or doesn't get the opportunities. But you could also think in terms of game environments. So, for instance, a lot of people will get a lot of people in DFS. A lot of people in DFS try to predict game flow. They go, oh, this team's going to be up and they're going to be running the ball in the second half. You know, like that that type of stuff. Thinking in relative terms, it's like the high total team. So, let's say like high ownership on a a high total game. A lot of times it's going to lead to more passing stacks from that from those teams. Well, in the case where this is not a high-scoring game, who benefits? Just, just in the same way that you go to the low total games. This is supposed to be predicted efficiently, more likely, more probable to be a low-scoring game. But what happens if it isn't? Who benefits? What is the field doing? Well, the field is overvaluing this game and undervaluing that game. Now, does that mean you go and you necessarily play, I'm going to play Carolina Atlantic stack? No. But maybe you'd be more inclined to play some one-offs from that game versus one-offs from the game that's already high total and already owned. Especially since players in the same game are correlated to each other. One of the things you'll hear often on shows this year, and I said it last year on the game, the game theory show here on Roto Grinders, that what happens is that okay, we get it, we get a Miami. Let's let's just go to the Miami Chargers game, right? And we see here it's like oh okay, there's 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 Miami passing stacks. There's Keith, there's Alan Williams stacks. There's all this stuff. Eckler's own, right? Jeff Wilson or Raheem Mostert or one of the Dolphins running backs. You see, everyone is kind of owned. It's like, and then then you go, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Jalen Jalen Waddle. You know, is is eight percent owned, right? Which is not like 
low-owned, but lower than other players in the game. And then someone will go, it's like, I'm, instead of playing instead of playing Tua Hill with a Mike Williams run back or something like that, I'm going to play Waddle instead. Or I'm going to play the other side of the game. Or some, or, or on that, I'm going to play a Waddle one-off. I'm going to play a Ryan Mostert one-off. It's like, well, if there's enough ownership on the game and your lineups, you, this lineup specifically benefits from that game failing, why would you want to take any piece of the game? So you're basically saying that the Dolphins-Chargers game doesn't go over, but Jalen Waddle still has a big, has a 30-plus point game. Well, if Jalen Waddle has a 30-plus point game, it's quite probable that who had a good that, that other people in this game had a good game. So you may think that, well, the lowest owned player and the lowest owned like made player in this game is Jalen Waddle, eight percent, while everyone else is like fifteen to twenty percent. I'm going to play him as a one off. It's quite possible no one in this game is good as a one off. Maybe a running back. Because if, you, if you're going to build a lineup as if the game is going to do well, then you probably be benefit by having more pieces of it. This is a very similar concept in MLB. Although it doesn't happen, it, it's not as prevalent in MLB. But you can think of it like that's why we have the only in stacks button in MLB. What ends up happening is that the Braves are chopped. The Braves always do well. Just stack the you stack the Braves every day. You you, you could retire on a a private island this year at least. Ronald Acuna is like sixty seven hundred, and he's going to be like thirty six percent owned. And the Braves are going to be like a twenty percent owned stack. And then then you build a then someone builds a lineup where they're uh, the Mariners. They're playing a five man Mariners stack. And they have three one-offs, and they include Acuna as one of the one-offs. The point is that if Acuna has a great game, it's more likely the Braves have a good good game. If Acuna's sitting there with 30 points, most likely Olsen's there, Albies is there, Ozuna, whoever on the Braves. If he's doing well, that means probably there's a correlation in baseball. Other Braves are doing well. And if the Braves are going to be high-owned, why do you want to play Acuna one-off? the highest own, own percentage of the entire slate. Very similar to like our example before with like Justin Jefferson. The Vikings stack is chalk. And Justin Jefferson is the most expensive player in that stack. And you're like, oh, well, I'm going to play him as a one-off. So basically, what, what are you saying? What is the story that you're telling in your lineup? Justin Jefferson breaks the slate but somehow none of the other Vi- no viking other vikings player or any player from the other side of the game does anything that's less likely to happen i'm not saying it can't happen but it's less likely justin jefferson have has four touchdowns 180 yards and four touchdowns well there's a quarterback that has four touchdowns that he threw and he probably threw over 350 yards so you're probably going to need the quarterback if he had the opportunity to, to catch, you know, four long touchdowns, someone on Tampa Bay probably is doing well because the game is going back and forth. 
So taking taking high owned expensive one offs from teams that are already going to be stacked to the gills from a leverage perspective doesn't make that much sense. You're not gaining number one. You're playing an own player, so you're sharing a lot of points with a lot of portion of the field. But other players in those and your opponents' lineups are benefiting from that, and you, you're not. That's le- that. That's the game of leverage. I mean, this this is how you apply leverage in in any sport. Think in terms of what players are owned, and also what players are negatively and positively correlated to those players. What types of constructions are correlated to those players? Well, I'm going to play the highest. I'm going to play a eighty four hundred dollar running back an $8,000 wide receiver. And like, what, what, what do those lineups look like? Do those lineups have an expensive tight end? Do, the, do those lineups have an, you know, what do they look like? If you see that, like, oh, the, kind of the chalky, the chalky game, people are going to stack the chalky game. They're going to need to find a $3,500 wide receiver and a, and a $2,900 tight end. Like that's what the construction is going to look like. What's the chalky construction? How could you leverage off of that? Everyone's going to play everyone, quote unquote. Everyone's going to play the $8,200 running back and the $5,200 running back. Play for the 8K wide receiver, the 5K wide receiver, and this chief $3,200 guy. Take a look at that and go, okay, how do I get a projection that is similar? You're not going to get as high. That doesn't rely on this construction. That's a way of getting leverage. You can get it combinatorically. Doesn't mean you fade everyone. Let me make it clear. Doesn't mean you take the, you go, who's, who's over 20% on an X amount. You're going to be playing chalk in lineups in NFL. You're going to. You're just not going to be playing them all together. And there, yes, there are going to be some weeks where every player over 25% on crushes. There, there are going to be weeks like that. There's also going to be weeks that every player over 25% is awful. And people are going to be on Twitter going, you know, you have the two two different types of things. When all the chalk smashes, you go on Twitter and people are complaining about not catching with 240 points. I put up the most amount of points that I ever have, and I only got 1.5x or something. Then on the other end of the spectrum, when like all the chalk fails, it's like, ah, never again. Never eating the chalk, right? And it's oh, all all the people were wrong, right? Jamar Chase had a nineteen point projection, and he only put up fifteen points. Fail. Well, these are the range of outcomes in NFL, and especially in small sample sizes, you should want to take advantage of that. That's what we'll be talking about tomorrow. Taking advantage of variance. Just macro strategies in the NFL DFS. That's what we're covering this week. Macro strategy. Micro strategy, you can do the same thing. You just, I, dude, you could not know nothing. Jack squat about football and do well in NFL DFS. The same way you do it in baseball or basketball or anything like that. We got projections. You get projections and ownership and build lineups. You absolutely can. 100%. Some people want to get the extra edge. So you, so you know what you're looking at when you're looking at lineups. 
So we'll be talking about that tomorrow. Taking advantage of variance, especially in NFL. NFL is the probable MMA to some extent, golf to another extent, but NFL. Taking advantage of variance in NFL is, I mean, to me, one of the best macro strategies, only because it is a small sample size sport. PGA kind of is. MMA definitely is. Taking advantage of variance, meaning that the field does not recognize how variant the player's distribution based on opportunities actually is. Probably the most advantageous early in the season. Most profitable way to play. You, you, because you don't know. People think they know, they don't. And any data that you analyze is on very small. We're talking about 17, 18 weeks of football. We don't get 162 games like in baseball. You don't get 82 games in basketball. You're going to get into week six and you're going to have five weeks worth of data. And then you can see half the teams have personnel changes. This guy's out. That guy's injured. This thing, Who the hell knows what's going to happen? This defender's out. This thing is uh, the quarterback has a blister. You have no idea. And people overvalue stuff. They either they either do one of two things. They either overvalue their, their gut. Right? Well, I saw this, right? This should happen. Or they overvalue, they simply overvalue even the data. They go, well, his mean projection's 18, so I got to play him. It's like, well, his mean projection's 18 if he has a 22% target share. If, if the team gets a lead, if, I mean, like all those ifs. Yes, that is the mean. Maybe, maybe this range of outcomes is not like this. And maybe it's way wider than you think. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Hit that thummy thumb. Hit the thummy thumbs. Hit the thummy thumbs. Send in your questions. You send in questions, I have answers. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. I will answer them this week and next week. And once we head into the first week NFL season, we'll be talking about slates and we'll be back to normal, right? Not just NFL primer stuff. A lot of the stuff I talk about on this show, all these concepts are in the theory of daily fantasy sports. How to think like a professional DFS player, as well as theory of DFS for advanced players, how to apply profitable DFS strategies, which includes custom Excel tools. You can pick them up. Theoryofdfs.com. You got, if you got a grand total of what? 21 plus hours of audio that you could just, just listen through the whole thing, play, and then come back to it two or three months and then listen to the whole thing again. You, you'll pick up everything. You will, you'll never need to show again. You'll never need to talk to me ever again, which may be a good thing. So pick that up, theoryofdfs.com. Send in your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. We'll do more NFL DFS primer stuff tomorrow because I'm here answering your questions like I always do. Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.